Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts start by saving 33 with prime on all body care and candles then get a 15 stem bunch of tulips for just 9.99 each with prime round out mom's menu with festive rose irresistible berry chantilly cake and more special treats come celebrate mother's day at whole foods market Hello and welcome back to The Bunker Daily. I'm Naomi Smith. If you missed out on our live show last week, have no fear. If you sign up to back us on Patreon today, you can watch the recording and of course you'll get first dibs on tickets to the next show and all sorts of other goodies too. Just search Patreon Bunker podcast to find out more. Today we're going to be talking about COVID-19, but perhaps not in the way you might think. Because I want to shine a spotlight on what is currently a hidden crisis the growing numbers of previously very fit and healthy people who contracted the illness and sometimes incredibly mildly, but who have nevertheless never fully recovered. It's been dubbed long COVID on Facebook groups around the world, where sufferers gather to share information about symptoms, the impact of their mental health and the lack of help from the medical community. Some contracted COVID more than six months ago, but are still unable to return to work or lead anything close to the life they did previously. Symptoms are wide ranging from headaches, brain fog, skin tingles and muscle pain to stomach issues, fever and chest problems. Chronic fatigue seems to be the most universal complaint. And that's not just feeling tired. It's feeling almost unbearably fatigued, where even using the most modest amount of energy doing a basic household chore could leave you bedbound for days. It's believed that long COVID could be affecting up to 10% of those who catch the disease, meaning that more than a million people globally and 30,000 people in the UK are already suffering from these debilitating after effects. With me to teach us more is a long COVID sufferer, former runner and professor of infectious diseases at the Liverpool School of Tropical Medicine, Paul Garner. Paul, welcome. Thank you. Um, Do you you know how you got COVID-19? I work in a university where there are many doctors coming and going from the hospital and I think it must have been perhaps from the workplace that a lot of the young student doctors that were on our course also became unwell with it. So I think uh, that's that's how I got it, but mm-hmm. it, it's not entirely clear to me. And tell us your journey. You know, When did you get it and how many sort of weeks and months on are you now? So I'm just starting my 17th week. Um, I I became unwell on the 19th of March. This was um, at a time when the government was pursuing a policy of of development of herd immunity, or certainly that's when I caught the disease uh, at that time. And I felt a little bit strange, 
nothing more than that. Mm. I hadn't got a temperature. I was checking my temperature in the morning. Every day I was going to work, but I just felt a little bit strange. And and someone, uh, David Nabarro, uh, was on a conference call and said, anybody that feels a little bit unusual or anything changes, self-isolate. This disease is a, a very strange disease. So I didn't. I didn't really believe that I was unwell. Because you didn't have the symptoms that at the time the government was saying, you know, the persistent cough, the fever, if you've got those, self-isolate. But if you feel any other weirdness, carry on as usual, wasn't it? That was the advice. Yes, I exactly. I didn't, it, uh, it, it, I didn't have any of the classical symptoms. That's why I went into work. But I didn't feel completely normal. So I went and self-isolated and people said, oh, well, you'll probably be all right. And then after three days, it suddenly, I became really quite unwell uh, with uh, still no fever, but really feeling very fatigued, very sweaty, very muggy headaches, sort of brain fog. I couldn't think straight. And on the fourth day, I I sort of collapsed in bed with with, uh, very severe fatigue, very severe headache and and a, a paralysis of the body. I actually felt my life was draining out of me. I actually thought oh I, I had a, a, a my heart was racing and 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 uh, I thought I had a, an infection of the heart and this was it. But but it was so strange. I, I fell asleep and then woke up and then entered this. Uh, next 10 weeks of just recurrent bouts of of, uh, illness that would come out from nowhere um, and sort of hit you around the head with it like being hit by a cricket bat. And then in between times, I'd actually feel not too bad. I'd feel a bit muggy, but I'd feel not too bad. So it was uh, extraordinary. And lots of of really unusual symptoms. I, I, you know, loss of smell was fairly early on. I was completely worn out, aching muscles. Um, headaches, ringing in the ears, um, tingling in my fingers and my my arms, pains in the small joints of my hands, sweaty layers of clothes. So people in the house said, used to say, "Well, you're not going to be very well today because I'd have four or five layers of clothes on, even though mm, it was quite that was the outside. signifier." Yeah. yeah. Um. So you know, all the official advice is still, um, if you you know, get any symptoms to self-isolate for seven days. Uh, if you have symptoms uh, or 14 days, if you're living in a household um, and, you know, most people get it mildly and recover very, very quickly in that kind of time frame. So why aren't we being told that this actually could affect you for far longer? Because people didn't know. Um, at the time, I, uh, I kept waking up every morning expecting the disease to have evaporated i thought it will be gone today and each day it was still there that was day 21 and i was googling online and the 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 advice said it'll be a couple of weeks or maybe a bit longer if you've been in hospital and at the time nobody really understood that it might go on for a long time my neighbor who is a general practitioner came and saw me on the on day 30 and said was really concerned that I had a lymphoma he thought uh, we were we were missing something people mm. honestly didn't realize it was going to go on for so long but how common do you think long COVID is now I mean I, I sort of read out some stats at the top of the show but um, what, what's your experience of how many people might be suffering this very very long road to recovery 
I think that is probably um, uh, an underestimate, but you know, it's just an impression. I think there's a lot of people out there that are um, suffering from a whole spectrum of different um, residual effects from from this infection. I think that there's a whole range of things that are happening because the the, the disease attacks all the different organs of the body in different ways it, it's leaving people with varying problems uh, some people have um, problems with their heart and their heart rate keeps going up um, uh, unexpectedly other people have other things but it, it it really is extremely common one of the um, things that i think needs to be explored further is that after about the eighth week i started realizing that what my activities, what I did, actually influenced how I felt. So if I walked a little bit too far or I did a little bit too much on the computer, I would be, a, a day or two days later, I would be thrown back with the old symptoms of the illness. And I think that this this problem is is as yet underestimated for people. Yeah, because you've written about it feeling like an echo uh, of the original illness every time you get run down or, or you know o- overdo it as you as you've sort of said the the relapse is is uh, is kind of similar to what you felt when you originally got it back in in, in mid March. Is is that kind of co- is that common with other post sort of viral illnesses that they kind of mimic the the original one that you had? I mean, as I understand it, you've had dengue fever as well. Uh, mm. it, it, this this sounds worse. So dengue fever were, were the post viral condition I was in was different. It was like driving with a handbrake on. This is, is a completely different setup. Sometimes, uh, after you've had a good sleep, or if you've rested well, you actually feel really good. You feel on top of the world. And uh, then you go out and perhaps walk a a little bit further than you normally do, or you spend a little bit more time on the computer than you should do. And Uh, give me some context for that, because you were a runner. So you saying walking perhaps a little bit further than you usually would, like just help help listeners understand what that means. Does that mean walking to the end of the street or does it mean doing a sort of, you know, 10K long walk and then, you know, ending up near a pub or something? Yeah, I... I was running 10, 15 uh, kilometers um, in one go before I became unwell. Now I can walk up to four kilometers and that really is my limit. I think if I go to five or six kilometers, just plain walking, I run into problems. I was doing an hour sessions of uh, intense yoga three times a week before I started this. Now, if I do 10 or 15 minutes of yoga on two consecutive days, it can set me back. It really is, um, uh, I would cycle uh, uh, 30 kilometers. Uh, Three days ago, I cycled to my sister's birthday. It was a 15-minute cycle ride there and back, and and I was floored for the next two days. Mm -hmm. It's 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 it you have to be so careful it's actually quite complicated to um to negotiate this this viral fatigue it's mm. you, you, uh, and you have to have some insight into it because it isn't like an hour later 
it's a day or a day and a half later. Yeah. You have to record all your patterns of activity to try and work out what's going on. And it does bring back the old symptoms. And uh, and it's very, uh, the, the literature that I'm finding very useful is the um, chronic fatigue ME literature, mm. although I'm not in that stage uh, you know, in terms of timelines and so on, it's much more useful than much of the medical literature about this. It's it all the self help groups about pacing is really really helpful, and and the people that have been most useful to me have been people that have ME who who are who are very kind and they 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 help me learn that I will make mistakes with this pacing. They uh, help me be forgiving mm-hmm. um, uh, and they help me understand that you have to just reduce your expectations of how you spend your day. And we know that ME sufferers are routinely ignored, dismissed, not believed by medics and by non-medics, you know, employers and, and people in their life who think, oh, you can't possibly be this tired. Um, could we be storing up a mental health crisis on top of a physical health crisis if long COVID sufferers aren't taken seriously? Or, or is this maybe an opportunity now if, you know, 30,000 more Brits are about to join this kind of chronic fatigue community that we might be able to get them the resourcing and help that, that they've, you know, just simply not had for the last few decades? I agree about being believed. I think part of the post-COVID condition is actually not a single condition. It's a spectrum. And part of it is very, very similar to uh, ME and, and, and chronic fatigue. Uh, there's no doubt about that. However, other people um, are experiencing other long-term effects. But I do think from the Facebook pages, at times, patients are not being believed by employers and um, by uh, health professionals when they go with long-term symptoms and often quite bizarre symptoms. Sensations, I haven't had this, but sensations of things crawling under your skin, sensitivity to, to, to certain clothes that you put on. Uh, They sound rather odd, but they are real. And Mm -hmm. uh, I think the medic, I think doctors are, general practitioners are catching up fast. I do think we shouldn't set this up as as a as a confrontation, but the really, we I think it's almost an opportunity to take seriously some of the symptoms and the problems of people that have chronic fatigue and post-viral syndromes in the past because at times uh, my own profession has been dismissed mm. dismissal of them uh, thinks that think that it's anxiety yeah. think it that, that it's um, a mental health problem and it isn't because if as soon as you're told that it makes it even worse for you. Indeed, and and, and let's. I mean, because obviously, I think there's the, the mental health impact that is a mental health impact that comes from you know the the depression and anxiety about not knowing 
how long it will take to recover, if you will ever recover, you know, that must be incredibly worrying. But there's also, just to go back to the symptoms you talked about at at the beginning, this brain fog, this this brain mist, uh, you know, becoming more forgetful, finding it difficult to articulate yourself. And you believe that's much more of a physiological thing. You you don't want that to be labelled and dismissed as a mental health condition. I agree. I think that this as a this disease messes with your head so obviously we are experiencing these weird symptoms but on top of that the, the disease is getting into your head somehow and i've described how i've woken up with, with very low moods absolutely full of tears in my head and just feeling terrible but then you know, later on in the day or, or in uh, the following day, I'm absolutely fine, which mm-hmm. makes no sense in terms of a, um, a, a depressive illness. So I, I, I do think it does. I understand that we have anxiety there uh, 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 as well, but, but the brain fog is, is extraordinary. I mean, I've been putting shopping like cans of baked beans into the refrigerator when I come back from Tesco's. And I've, I've, um, uh, I was on a, a conference call the other day and found it was very difficult to speak. Um, mm-hmm. And that was, that was part of the tiredness, not realizing that if I spent a lot of time on Zoom calls, uh, that, that actually that, that, that mental stress would make um, me worse and, and bring on difficulties with speech. Hello, I'm Ros Taylor with news of Oh God, What Now? The politics podcast that's never going to leave its voter ID at home. On Friday's show, it's six months until the US election and Donald Trump is stuck sitting on trial in a New York courthouse. Is he bulletproof or can Joe Biden turn around the polls? In the second half, it's local elections week, but we've steadily taken power away from local authorities. What if we gave it back? And in the extra bit for supporters, is there a right level of ruthlessness in politics? That's Oh God, What Now? With me, Ros Taylor, Raphael Baer, Hannah Fern, guest Nikki McCann-Ramirez, out now, wherever you get your podcasts. So, I mean, you said let's not set this up to be a sort of combative thing between, you know, patients and the medical community. But but talk us through how the medical community are responding to the issue of long COVID. I mean, obviously, very understandably, their attention and time and uh, and energy and money and all the rest of it had to be focused on the acute peak. Uh, but 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 do you do you feel that now we're sort of through that a little bit, and you know, hopefully we we won't be crashing into a second wave too soon. That that you're still being left in limbo, or that there are sufficient numbers of medics beginning to be concerned about this and take it seriously? So I think it's complicated. I think the initial concern with rehabilitation has been people in hospital that have been ventilated because the consequences of the ventilation are well recognised. I think the community we're talking about um, is has a louder voice now and people are moving quite quickly. I think the long haulers like myself um, have gone through learning phases ourselves. Like initially, everybody was saying, why aren't doctors doing something for us? Why aren't they investigating us? And then the community is finding that actually when they do the test, there's actually not a lot wrong with, mm. <laughs> you know, there's not a lot found. And, and, and so the community is beginning to realize that actually 
convalescence is going to be very important once you've uh, selected out those people that really do have um, medical uh, scarring on their lungs and so on. But that's not to say that long COVID isn't medical, though. It's, surely this is just sort of highlighting, and maybe for, for some in the medical community, this is a difficult thing to accept, that, that perhaps this is just something that medicine can't yet understand. Well, I think medicine and uh, we need to help people with pacing. So it, it is very complicated. I'm finding it. I'm finding it difficult not to overshoot in my work activities and and in my physical activities. And it's getting an understanding of how this overshooting of ex, uh, going above your baseline, how many people um, this affects in this covid community because it may not just it may not be everyone it, mm. it, it, it might be just a, a subgroup uh, uh, like this but people need help with this and 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 they need an understanding now we've got uh, a, um, a medical setup in the uk where the latest guidelines on chronic fatigue were produced by nice 13 years ago and those guidelines emphasize uh, the need to increase exercise once you've established a baseline. Now, that is uh, would I would regard as being completely inappropriate and not useful to me. No. I think the ME community would also uh, not see it as useful. But I, I think we need some updated practical guidance to help GPs and help people like me manage our condition. Can we look globally for some of that in the way that we ignored Asia over the, the fact that this virus was coming to us? We ignored, uh, you know, continental Europe over its severity. We ignored them and still, I think, continue to ignore them over masks. But have other coronaviruses like SARS uh, left some survivors with similar long tail symptoms? And if so, is there anything at all we can learn from uh, their journeys for the, for the people suffering now? I don't... I. It's it's a good point, uh, and the SARS literature has shown that this chronic fatigue was a long-term effect with quite a lot of SARS people. So it's ha- helped highlight the problem. I don't think there's in, enough in terms of volume to to then learn from from them in, in, mm. in terms of management methods. Mm. And, and so I say all the time that it's very important we draw on the methods and the pacing and the literature from the chronic fatigue ME uh, community, community yeah. without without actually putting us, you know, we don't, we shouldn't be putting people into boxes with this new disease. I have found those techniques useful and I think that they should be adapted and used as we move forward here. And look, we know that the the poorest uh, around the world are among those suffering the highest rates of COVID, the highest death rates from COVID. And I presume, therefore, that long COVID has similar inequalities. You know, you talked about I need to pace myself. Well, lucky you, right? You know, if you are a a single parent, uh, you know, on a very, very low income with, you know, small children, 
how, how, you know, struggling being totally unsupported through something like this just sounds like it would be horrendous. Uh, have you seen any of this? Are the middle classes getting the MRIs and the CT scans to weed out whether or not it's lung scarring or, or, or you know, more of a chronic fatigue thing, while, you know, those that can't afford it just are left totally in limbo? I agree. I acknowledge I'm in an incredibly privileged position that my employment status uh, and my access to resources helps me manage this. And I am so worried about other groups that are less privileged than me. This is not a middle-class disease. This is happening to a lot of people. I've tried reaching out to some of the people around me and certainly there are there are neighbors who've had to go back to work and then had to come um uh have had to stop work again because they felt unwell their employers have not believed them so i i i think it's a much bigger problem i would anticipate it that it's a big problem and and not only um in terms of suffering but also an awareness that this is going on uh, in wider groups in the community the middle you know the, the 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 people on facebook and the people demanding for services are often going to be a privileged or middle class group it's not all always going to be the case but i absolutely think the differentials with access the differentials with this and and of course the problem is as i've said if you have this condition with long haul and you overexert yourself then it kicks you back into bed Mm. and i'm talking about overexerting myself because i've walked too far or i've i've uh, cycled too far not because i've had to go back to work because i'm on a zero hours contract this is mm. my choice so i think you're absolutely right in pointing that out Trump said last week uh, that uh, only 1% of COVID sufferers get it badly. And Johnson, who only left ICU a couple of months ago himself, was performing press-ups in front of the media last week to demonstrate ease of bouncing back from the disease and, you know, and, and the machismo of, you know, let's take it all on the chin and we can fight this thing. It, how, do, how do those displays make you feel? I don't think they help anyone. It, it, it's... We have to be realistic. You, you, you sometimes see on the Facebook pages people saying, we've got to have a positive message. So how is everybody – somebody tell us that we're better. Here I am now, uh, you know, uh, 100, 111 days of being unwell. Yes, I'm cautiously optimistic about my progress and that I'll get better. But to pretend that this isn't happening is not helpful. And people really do need help and advice. Mm. Um, Anti-vaxxers, uh, <laughs> a growing and literal plague on society. Um, several polls uh, that I've seen over the last few weeks showing worrying and increasing numbers uh, of people who don't intend to get a coronavirus vaccine if one becomes available to them. What's your message to them, Paul? It's a, a little bit like, face masks it's uh people are interpreting it as an individual choice but actually it's in relation to the good of society and protecting others 
not necessarily people like me, but people like my my dad, who's 98 now, uh, the, uh, people who, if they get the disease, will um, um, not not do well on it. Mm-hmm. So it's a it's a it's a it's a public health issue. But I'd also say that the we are not there with the vaccine yet, and we don't know that we will have a vaccine. So to wait for a vaccine. Uh, 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 and depend on it actually being effective. So the establishing the effectiveness of these vaccines is is going to be very important. Meanwhile, we need to get on with the solid public health uh, and uh, our own behaviours to prevent progression of the dis- this disease and its Indeed. spread. I mean, frankly, it doesn't have to be anti-vaxxers. I know plenty of, uh, you know, young people who have said, I'm young and fit and healthy. It won't matter if I get it. And I don't really see, you know, vulnerable people. My parents are still in their 50s and 60s and and pretty healthy. But that's just not necessarily true, is it? I mean, you're you're seeing people in these long COVID groups who who are young, fit and healthy before contracting the disease. Absolutely. Some some of the uh, they're, they're often the people that are most surprised. I mean, I was surprised, <laughs> um, uh, and certainly young people may may not get it as frequently. And and certainly a number of the young doctors um, that I know uh, recovered recovered quite quickly. But some people do develop. Some young people do develop very severe. Um, life-threatening uh, diseases and, and conditions with this. And 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 finally, Paul, what if what what would you really like the government to do for long COVID sufferers? I think you've, you've been really clear about what they need to do in terms of the public health message around you know masks and, and coronavirus more generally, but specifically for 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 sufferers like you. They need to, and they're probably doing this, but they need some algorithms in order to be able to screen people to know exactly what investigations people need because you know a lot of people don't need a huge number of investigations they they need methods to um, identify people in the community because I'm not in any government statistics at the moment I don't I, mm. I don't uh, uh, and then they need some good um, guidance to their general particularly to their general practitioners and other community health teams that allow these groups to accept these symptoms so that people are not being uh, 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 having their symptoms dismissed and uh, that have practical ways of helping us help ourselves in terms of pacing and our recovery. We'll draw it to a close there. Professor Garner, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, We all hope you turn a corner in your recovery really soon. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Listeners, thank you also for listening. Uh, If you found today's show interesting, do give us a review over on Apple Podcasts. It makes a huge difference and takes less than a minute. Goodbye for now, and we'll see you very soon. The Bunker Daily was presented by Naomi Smith. The producer was Andrew Harrison. The assistant producer was Jacob Archbold. And audio production was by me, Alex Reese. Theme tune by Kenny Dickinson. The Bunker Daily is a Podmasters production.